Thank you to Contentful for supporting our podcast. I'm Marcelo Lewin, and this is the Contentful Creators Podcast, Season 1, Episode 18. So let's get to it. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 18 of the Contentful Creators Podcast, where I have conversations with content architects, designers, developers, and other creators who use the Contentful content platform and related technologies to create web experiences. I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin, a Senior Content Solutions Architect and a Certified Contentful Professional. Today, I'll be chatting all about Jamstack with my guest, Brian Rinaldi, a developer advocate at StackBit who focuses on helping developers build Jamstack apps. But before we get started, if you want more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles, all focused on creating web experiences using Contentful and related technologies, please visit www.contentfulcreators.com. All right, Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Marcelo. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. Jamstack is totally new to me, and so I'm looking forward to learning as much as my audience will be learning from you. So thank you for doing this. Not a problem. Why don't we start out with you giving us your background. Tell us about yourself and how you got to where you are today. I've been a developer since I think about 1997 it was. I started professionally being a developer. For a number of years, I focused on like back-end stuff, then moved on to front-end development. And actually, I was heavily in Flash and Flex, if you remember any of that stuff. Completely remember. Micromedia. Yeah, exactly. So I ended up, because of that, I ended up at Adobe for some time focused on the Flash community. And then when Flash kind of disappeared, I moved back into JavaScript and front-end development. And I've been in developer advocate-type roles. There's a range of them for about 10 years now at Adobe and then at uh, Telerik, which got bought by a company named Progress, and now at Stackbit. So, you know, and in, in terms of Jamstack, my background with that, it's an interesting story about when I was at Progress. Well, it was still Telerik at the time, but when I was at Telerik, I wanted we were going to build this site for developers called the Telerik Developer Network. And initially it was going to be WordPress, but I was fascinated with Jekyll, which was relatively new at the time. And the idea of maybe building this as a static site, we didn't have the term Jamstack yet. So, and then they said no, ended up building it WordPress. But I kind of kept going with that. I started building sites with Jekyll and then with Hugo and then eventually wrote like a report for O'Reilly, which led to a book with O'Reilly with my friend Raymond Kind and, and speaking on the topic of, well, at the time, static sites and now Jamstack for years. So I was I consider myself among the early adopters of this whole concept and I've been around it since the beginning and it's changing a lot very, very quickly, especially recently. I'm curious. You said you work for Adobe and you also use Flex. I used to do tons of ColdFusion development. Did you ever do anything in Adobe? Oh, yeah. Cold Fu- yeah, of course. Yeah. So my start of my career back in 97 was with ColdFusion. That's um, funny. Heavily involved in the ColdFusion community. Yeah, that was when it was a lair though. Yeah, it was. And I used to even speak at ColdFusion conferences Oh, that's funny. A lot about Cold Fusion, yeah. I'm sure we ran into each other because I did Cold Fusion development for I don't know how many years. And then I created a framework called Cold Fusion Toolbox, which never took off, but just a couple of people used it. It's really interesting. Small world. I'm sure we. the name sounds familiar because I don't know if you recall, I became heavily involved in Cold Fusion open source, which is kind of sounds contradictory a little bit, but Cold Fusion itself wasn't open source. But I was promoting the Cold Fusion community doing open source projects. So I 
I had a whole list of all the open source projects in ColdFusion. Right. Well, I remember like Ben Forda, right, was the guy back then. So I was surprised the other day. I was actually just looking it up just for the heck of it. And I'm like, wow, it's still around and people are still coding. So very interesting. So now that we bored everybody with ColdFusion and most people are going like, what the hell is ColdFusion? We'll move on to the next thing. You said you're in StackBit. I'd like to find out a little bit more. I know you're a developer advocate, but what is StackBit? So StackBit basically brings a bunch of pieces of the Jamstack together. So essentially we have a site builder that allows you to create a Jamstack site that's connected to a headless CMS. And then the coolest part is that we even allow you to do things like live edit that site, preview what it's going to look like, share those previews, invite collaborators and things like that. So it's kind of like a layer on top of the whole CMS and Jamstack ecosystem that allows a bunch of tools that aren't necessarily there native. So almost to manage the backend data content. Yeah, to manage the back end of the content, but also to tie that into what it's going to look like on the front end. Because it, as you know, using Contentful, I can edit content in Contentful, but it's not always clear. Like when I edit that title, is is that too long? Did I make it too long? And it's going to break now break weirdly on two lines. And what is that actually going to look like on my site? Particularly when you're dealing with Jamstack and there's a whole build process involved and things like that. This allows you to actually see that, even share it. Get, you know, like if you need to get approvals on some changes you made before you push them live and things like that, you can do all that. I see. So you don't have to create, for example, in Contentful, you wouldn't have to create a preview page to see it. You would be the preview page. You'd be generating all that. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Very cool. Now you mentioned you wrote a book on static site generators. Tell us real quick. I mean, because, and it's O'Reilly, which is one of my favorite publishers, obviously, if you're into development. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so I wrote that book with my friend Raymond Camden, who also, by the way, is well-known in the Cold Fusion community back in the day. Totally, I um, completely remember. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so essentially at the time, it was you know, static sites were kind of the thing. We did talk about integrating with data and things like that, but there wasn't, the term Jamstack may have, I think it was 2016, so it may have come around right around when the book was coming out. And we cover how to build these sites using a bunch of different tools like Hugo and Jekyll. And I can't even remember what the other tools, because there are so many. There's like, you know, one of the crazy things about, about Jamstack is when you talk about static site generators, there's, I think, 426 of them last time I checked. So there's a lot of options. And part of the book is helping you understand the different options and what they entail and, and how to actually work with them while giving you like realistic use cases. Now, I would say... The book is already very outdated. I mean, it's maybe worth checking out if you have, you know, an O'Reilly subscription, but it's not where I necessarily tell people to start nowadays. And in fact, we're working on a new book, both Ray and I, but this would come, this is coming from Manning and it's going to be a while before it's actually published. But people can look it up. What's the name of it? Working with Static Sites. Perfect. And it's O'Reilly. So people can look it's it up. It's O'Reilly. That one is O'Reilly. Yes. All right. Well, everybody's here because they want to listen all about Jamstack. They want to learn about it. So do I. So why don't we start out with basically define Jamstack? What is that? Well, that sounds like a simple question, but it's, <laughs> right, <laughs> but exactly. it's not exactly. It's and that's, not, I think, it's the tough part. Right. So the term Jamstack, first of all, came from Netlify. Like that, they invented this term. And even I was around, obviously, I was involved in the community. So I was, I was privy to some of the discussions about it. And the reason it came up is because static sites sounds like I can't do anything dynamic, right? So it sounds like I just produce static files and that's the end of it, you know, so it's good for like maybe a blog or a marketing site, but not for anything more advanced than that. There was a time when that was true. 
And so the term Jamstack, the idea behind it was because we were able to do more dynamic things using things like serverless functions and all kinds of other services, we could then create fully dynamic sites, but the actual assets were static. So the original coinage of the term Jamstack was based on the acronym JAM, which is JavaScript, APIs, and markup. And the idea being those were kind of the key elements of what made each of these sites kind of similar, even if they use different tool sets and so on. So they've moved away more recently from the acronym portion of the name, partly because of some confusion over that. I mean, JavaScript APIs and markup sounds like it describes almost any site on the web. And so this is more about almost like an architecture. It's less than a stack, right? Like you would say lamp or something, right? Right. It's a technical architecture. It's more of a technical architecture, exactly. So the idea is, you know, the end result is you do use a static site generator to generate static assets. These static assets are then placed like Netlify deploys them to a CDN. So they're like sitting like on the on the edge, you know, edge computing, as they say, right? So you get delivered these assets via CDN. They're not hosted in the more traditional sense on a server, right? And so when the user hits the site, they get the same static assets, but we use APIs and serverless and all kinds of things like that to make them fully dynamic. So you can have search and you can have user authentication and you can have fully dynamic portions of content, but that's all running off of the static assets that are deployed to the CDN. So that implies that all of that is running on the client side. Yes and no. And that's where some of the confusion comes in because there is a lot of even in the term Jamstack, the J was a little overemphasized, right? Because let's imagine I'm hooking with Contentful. Now, I don't want to actually load all the content client-side unless it's changing constantly, right? Like a lot of this content would be the same. So I could pull that content during the build process and then deploy it and only load on the client-side anything that might change. Right, and that's what I meant, is the API portion is happening on the client side, not on the server side, right? So nothing dynamic really happens. I understand that during the build process, it's all dynamic and it builds it, but once it becomes static pages, then anything that is required to be dynamic would be done on the client side, right? Because otherwise you're breaking the rule of being static on the server, I would assume. Right, it's on the client side, but in the end, you're calling a server, right? Because if we're calling a serverless function that, that performs whatever happens, there is a server involved. We're in a phase in the technical community. We love terms that are kind of confusing, even serverless. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a confusing term. So yeah, there is a server involved at some point, but yes, you would call that function client side to perform whatever dynamic content changes you need performed. Got it. So let's take an example so we can make it a bit more concrete. You go to a website and you click on the login button. The login page that shows the username and password with the input boxes, that's all static. But when you click on login, that would kick in with an API client site to log you in and then bring you to the next page. That would be a static page, but with some elements that would call back the server that would have all your dynamic information. For example, hey, welcome back, Marcelo. That would be dynamic. And that would be done through the client site. Yes, you'd have JavaScript functions that would be calling APIs to get that information. That kind of brings up the question of security, right? A lot of the times people say, hey, you want to store API keys and all this on the server, so that way there's uh, less possibility of, of being broken into. Now you're storing some of these API keys on the client side. What are the drawbacks to doing that versus doing it on the server side? So you're not going to store those keys on the client side, generally speaking. So the only APIs I would call directly are open APIs. Otherwise, I'm calling a serverless function that I created 
to then call the API. So there's the kind of an intermediary there and the, the API keys would exist. For instance, I use Netlify for hosting my sites. The API keys would exist within that serverless. Right. And so they'd be available to my serverless function and they would be hidden. They would never exist on my client code. We would call the serverless function. The serverless function then has the API keys that then calls the API that needs some sort of authentication, gets that information back and sends it back. So all of that is still done on the server side. Yes. That's what I was saying. Like, it's a bit confusing because there is servers involved. And that's where I think some people, when they look at it, they come to the same conclusion that, oh, all of this has to be on the client side. And then you expose things like API keys and such, or you're directly calling your contentful with your token. And that's not the case. That wouldn't be happening. That makes sense. So what makes Jamstack Jamstack, right? Because so far, it seems like the big difference, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm probably wrong, but the big difference is that it's a static site generator. It's like you're generating the static and then going through a client. Is that what makes it a Jamstack app versus all any other app that just uses React, does something similar, I guess? I'm trying to say, oh, this is Jamstack and this one isn't. I can't see like a clear line right now. Yeah, it is a bit of a fuzzy line. I mean, because you could technically build this site without a static site generator that does all of these things and still, you know, it effectively follows the Jamstack philosophies and, and architecture. There's just no process of building the site locally and generating assets using a static site generator. Now, there is actually in the community a little bit of debate about whether that's Jamstack or not Jamstack. People have differing opinions. My opinion is honestly... I think Jamstack requires the use of a static site generator on some level, right? So the whole combining of your markup and, you know, to generate as static assets that are then deployed is all kind of contained in the process of using that static site generator. Now, could you do that manually without it? Yes, but I think that's where it kind of gets into like this fuzzy line of that's kind of Jamstack, follows Jamstack philosophies, but it's maybe not technically Jamstack. But I'll be honest with you, also, I think it's not that important. I think the underlying concepts of using static assets for both the security, the speed, and, you know, and things like that is more important for the end result is more important than exactly how you go about building it. Because even if you do Jamstack, there's like a thousand different ways you could do it. There's not one solution. You spoke about static side generators. And every time I hear Jamstack, I hear two things that are always spoken in the same sentence, which is one is Netlify and the other one is Gatsby. Can you explain why are both of those always being used in the same sentence as Jamstack? What's the relationships between all of those? So Netlify, they were among the first companies to focus exclusively on this kind of way of building sites to deploying to a CDN and, and, you know, using serverless functions and, and to get your dynamic content and so on and so forth. And they also coined the term Jamstack. Now there are other options out there. Company used to be named Zite now is, is named Versal is another option. There are other companies doing what Netlify is doing. I'd say at this point, Netlify is still the biggest name in that, and they were obviously the leaders in that space early on. So that's kind of why you often hear hear them used. As far as Gatsby goes, so Gatsby is, is actually a static site generator, but they have a whole bunch of services. They've built a company around it. That tool, it is the tool itself is a React-based static site generator. Part of, I think, why you often hear that name is just Number one, because they wrote a little bit of the popularity of React to build their name. Number two, because they have built a good company that is good at marketing that tool. 
but it is one of like a ton of options. So it's kind of become a bit of the default option for a lot of people, but I'd like to make it clear that there are a lot of other options. In fact, Versal, which I mentioned a moment ago, makes one called Next.js if you want to stick with React, but they have a slightly different approach. I use one constantly called Hugo, which is built in Go. There's there's still Jekyll, which is built in Ruby. There's Pelican, which is built in Python. So as I mentioned before, there are a ton of options. Gatsby just happens to have a lot of buzz lately. That makes sense. So what are some of the positives and then, of course, some of the challenges of creating Jamstack apps? So some of the positives for me, my favorite thing and what drew me to this whole architecture in the first place, obviously the speed of the site and the security and those things are nice. But what I loved was the flexibility. I was frustrated with using tools where the front end and the back end were so tightly coupled, like in WordPress, where I felt like I was often having to beat the tool into submission to get the front end to look and feel the way that I wanted it to. And Jamstack has is fully flexible because there's really no tying the front end and the back end. That's even the whole idea right behind Contentful and their headless architecture, right? So I love that flexibility that building the front end is really kind of fully up to me. I'm not pushed into some approach because of the tools. So that's one of the things that I like. The other side of that coin is also the more difficult part, which is that, as I said a couple times already, there's a thousand different ways to do things in the in the Jamstack. So there's, it's, there's no easy solution. It's not like a straightforward path. And that, I think, can be difficult. Ramps up the difficulty a little bit for beginners, right? And, and maybe even why, going back to our prior conversation, why people end up going Gatsby, because it's easier to just kind of go the route that others seem to be taking when you enter into a technology space that there's no obvious one way to do things. What are some good use cases for Jamstack? And what are cases where you say, no, this is not going to work? That used to be an easy question to answer when we were talking about static sites. With Jamstack, it's a lot less obvious. Now we see e-commerce sites moving to Jamstack quickly. And so like I could say a YouTube site, honestly, a lot of YouTube could be Jamstack. And there's even now a growing concept of mixing Jamstack with server-side rendering. So like even tools like Next and Nuxt allow you to kind of say, this page is fully static and that page has some degree of server-side rendering. So we're kind of moving in a direction where the lines are not as clear. Places where Jamstack doesn't necessarily make sense to me are things like dashboards where you're pulling a lot of data off a server and dynamically rendering and stuff like that. Oftentimes that, that to me, you can do that in Jamstack, but the majority of your site is going to end up being rendered on the server by calling some function, then it may not necessarily benefit as much from being Jamstack. Whereas if the majority of your site is still going to be rendered statically, and then I'm going to be pulling in elements of dynamic content or interaction, then that easily could be Jamstack. So like a YouTube to me fits that, but then like a company business dashboard with data grids and all that stuff, maybe not as much. Without getting into the full details, how would you make a Jamstack app scalable? Yeah, I mean, I think it's scalable by default, by the default of the architecture. From an end user standpoint, they're getting static assets, those scale infinitely because they're just static assets. From the dynamic portions are all running on cloud functions that scale up as they get used. So I think it's kind of built into the way 
the Jamstack architecture is built for scaling. Guide us through the workflow. For example, let's say Contentful on the back end when it authors the content, they click on publish. Guide us through that workflow of uh, big picture wise, right? Of what happens in a Jamstack application? What gets triggered? How is it built? What gets pushed where? If you could just give us a little bit of a roadmap on that. Okay, so the typical Contentful workflow, I think, for most use cases is going to be whereby you make changes in Contentful, you click publish, and that actually triggers a rebuild on, let's, in this example, Netlify, right? And that rebuild then pulls the new content into the site and pushes that live, right? So in this case, actually, all of the content is being pulled during the build process calling the APIs rather than on the client side. Does that make sense? Totally. Now, when it builds it, you said Netlify, does it push it to Git anywhere in between or how is that all done? It really depends. I mean, there's different ways of doing this. We do this, obviously, it's StackBit. That's part of our whole process. We have like a, we call it StackBit pull, which does this for you. It kind of pulls that content at build time. Now, we also have a tool called SourceBit, which is completely open source. And that approaches it differently. Like, so... Our StackBit pull pulls it during build time, but it's never actually written into your GitHub repo, for example. But SourceBit, on the other hand, actually would pull that content and pull it all into your repository as markdown and image files and whatever assets you have, right? And then then trigger the rebuild. So there's different ways of handling that. I personally kind of like the idea of having that in my GitHub repo, but that's really depends on on how you decide to approach it. Now, in the name itself, Jamstack, the A stands for API, and obviously you can use REST APIs, I'm assuming, to get all the content or the information you need. What about GraphQL? Does it support it natively as well? Yeah. So, for instance, we talked about Gatsby. Gatsby is built upon GraphQL. That's kind of their primary way of getting any data. So, yes, you can use GraphQL on any of these sites, some of the frameworks actually built with native GraphQL support. So, yeah. And then you mentioned about deploying to Netlify, right? And obviously, there's other companies like Netlify, but can you deploy to your own local server if you wanted to? Sure. I mean, you know, another option would be like even just deploying to GitHub pages as an example, which is free. If I build it locally, the end result is just static files that I can deploy wherever I want to. The reason you'd involve like a Netlify or Reversal, and even to some degree, GitHub Pages has a little bit of this built in for Jekyll, is because I want to limit the process of having to actually push the build and push the files, right? This is all done for me. So in this case, like I'd make a change to my site, I'd push that into my repository on GitHub, and that would trigger a rebuild automatically of everything rather than having to actually build the files locally and push those up. Now, tell us a little bit about the architecture of an app itself. Like, for example, are there configuration files? Are there template files that then they're used to build everything into HTML? Can you tell us a little bit about that? So, yes, there are configuration files. Generally speaking, each static site generator has its own way of defining configuration files. And there are template files like, and what the templating language that you use for these templates, it generally depends on which static site generator again. I mean, so the, for the React ones, they're all React-based templates, right? But for instance, for Hugo, they use Go templating. For Jekyll, it uses Liquid templating. For Eleventy, I can't even recall what that Eleventy uses, honestly. There's so many different templating languages at this point. But the point is, there are template files that take the markdown or HTML content and kind of 
dynamically generate the end result file. So some of these, most actually of the static site generators are going to have like pre-built templates if you want to use those. We offer those as well on Stackbit. We have a number of pre-built templates, but like there are whole sites dedicated to pre-built templates if you want to get a head start. But building them is pretty easy. It's just a matter of kind of dropping in the templating language and dropping in the variables where you need that content to show up. Now in Jamstack, the J stands for JavaScript. But can you use TypeScript? Of course, the name would be Tamstack, and that wouldn't sound good. <laughs> uh, of course, you can use TypeScript. I think there are some frameworks, some static site generators that natively support TypeScript. I cannot recall offhand which they would be. But obviously, if you want to use TypeScript for anything, you just add a step in your build process to then generate the JavaScript off that. Explain the place of Node in a Jamstack, or even if there is a place for Node. So, I mean, the, the main place for Node is honestly NPM because many of these are built on JavaScript, like the popular ones that are Next, Gatsby, Eleventy, but there are a lot of others that are built on JavaScript. But even the ones that aren't built on JavaScript often use NPM for, for some degree of tooling, you know, additional functionality. So that's the main part. The tools like Gatsby and like Next will actually run off of, you know, are built on JavaScript and run on Node. So like if I deploy to Versal, for instance, that ability to switch between server rendered and statically rendered content, that's obviously deployed to Node. But like, for instance, I build a lot of stuff with Hugo and Hugo is based on Go. And a lot of that, I don't end up using a lot of Node. There are pieces of my build process that do involve NPM, like, you know, to dynamically generate CSS files and things like that. But that's not necessarily like a core component of building a site with Hugo. Now, if people want to get started developing app, it sounds, honestly, it sounds like pretty much any web developer can just create Jamstack. And most likely, many developers are creating Jamstack apps without really realizing they're creating Jamstack apps. Would that be a true statement? Yeah, I think that's possibly true, yeah. Yeah. So... For those that are not doing web development right now, let's say, what is it that they need to know to get started creating Jamstack apps? So, I mean, I would just honestly pick one of these tools and start messing with it. That's how I got started. I've even written a post recently about how to choose which static site generator to start with. So, and I kind of have a few that I recommend for somebody who's a beginner and largely because they're kind of the tools that have been around a long time have good documentation and a lot of community resources to get you started. The ones I recommended were Jekyll, Hugo, and Gatsby. For me personally, Jekyll and Hugo are really easy to get started with because if you're not a React developer, I don't have to learn React. But if you are comfortable in React and JavaScript, then and Gatsby, the nice thing about Gatsby is it has a huge plugin ecosystem that makes it easy to add functionality that you might otherwise in other tools have to write yourself. I think just grab one of those tools and start building something. That That's, to me, the not only the best way to get started, but it's the most fun way to get started. Yeah, totally. Experimenting, right? That's the fun part of this business. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally agree with you. So what are some good resources? Let's start with your side. Obviously, your book, even though the older book uh, probably gives some good information and uh, we'll wait for your new book as well. But what other some other resources that people can use to get started? The first obvious recommendation of a resource to get started, if you want to learn more about just what Jamstack is and best practices is Jamstack.org. And that was actually the original site where that Netlify created to kind of define the term. But it has grown to include some additional resources. There's also a Slack community that they've created that you can join. That's a good one. But I would say Snipcart has an excellent post on everything you need to know to get started with the Jamstack. That's been a resource that's been around for years. But the amazing part is they just keep it up to date, which is very hard to do. And so... I think they wrote this post about five years ago and they, they continue to update it constantly. So it's still a very current resource to kind of learn what you need to know to get started. Another one that has just a links to a ton of different resources that I find useful is jamstack.wtf. That's just a funny name too. But it, it actually gives you a ton of links to other resources that you can learn about Jamstack and you know get started basically. Obviously, I think the StackBit blog is great, which is just the primary place where I write. That's just biased, obviously. And I think there's there's just a lot of really great resources around nowadays for Jamstack. It's really amazing. The community has grown enormously. And I actually run a newsletter, which you can find at like jamstack.email. I send out biweekly all the links from the Jamstack community that I think are like the most important that you really wanted to know. And some of those are geared towards people who are just getting started as well. Excellent. Thank you for sharing all those. We'll put those in the show notes as well so people can click on them. So Brian, thank you so much for sharing all this wonderful information. You definitely educated me. I now feel more confidently speaking about Jamstack and I'm sure everybody appreciates it as well. So thank you so much. Great. I'm glad to hear it was helpful. Definitely. Now, if people want to get a hold of you, do you want to give your Twitter, your email, whatever you like? Probably the best place to find me is on Twitter. I'm at RemoteSynth on Twitter. And I do post a lot about Jamstack, obviously. So it's a good place if you want to get some links and other resources on that as well. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Brian. And to the rest of you, I'm glad you were here with us. Just a quick reminder to visit www.contentfulcreators.com for more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles. So until the next episode, I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin. Cheers, everyone.